Hello, and welcome to ECNM On Air, a podcast series from ECNM Magazine that shares industry intelligence, insights, and opinions on all topics electrical. I'm your host, Ellen Parson, editor in chief of ECNM, and I'm here today with some top executives from electrical contracting firms featured in this year's Top 50 Electrical Contractors Special Report which will be coming out soon in our September print issue. And is actually, I think, was just put online today. So that article is available in the top 50 rankings are on our website as of today, but it also will be coming out in print in the September issue. Um, they're here with me to talk uh, about important issues such as that were mentioned in the article, uh, such as how their firms have navigated some challenges like supply, supply chain issues, rising material prices, inflation, worker shortages, um, talk about what new revenue streams maybe that have emerged, how they position their companies for growth, and what they believe are the top things to watch in the market. That's what everybody really wants to know about. So today we're talking with Willis Weedle of Encore Electric, Rob Smith of Sargent Electric, and John Axelson of Hunt Electric. And I'm going to let our guests introduce themselves briefly before we jump right into the discussion. So Willis, would you like to begin? Sure. Thank you to uh, ECNM for hosting this. It's a pretty awesome opportunity. And congratulations to Rob and John for making the top 50 list. I think uh, it's a tribute to our industry that we are even re being recognized. Uh, I'm the CEO and founder of Encore Electric. Um, Encore Electric is 20 years old this year. Um, I've been in this industry for 46 years. Our company, Encore Electric, is primarily commercial work. Uh, we work throughout Colorado, entire state of Colorado. We have projects in Wyoming and Utah and Montana and Iowa, and we've done some work in Texas and Washington, and that's the extent of our geographic. We have about 11, we have 1,100 employees. Um, our main office is in Lakewood, Colorado. What I love about our business and what drives me is mostly the ability to serve our customers, which is huge for us, and uh, create opportunities for the development of people. So that's kind of my story. So I'm Rob Smith, uh, president of Sargent Electric. Sargent is a pretty diversified electrical contractor, has been around since 1907, and uh, we cover most spectrums of the industry, industrial, commercial, wireless, utility, power business. Uh, so, so pretty diversified company working from low voltage systems to high voltage systems. Um, we deliver projects nationwide for our strategic customers, uh, but our particular focus is on the Midwest, Mid-Atlantic, and New England, where our fixed base operations are located. We've got just under a thousand people working from six locations and do around $300 million a year uh, in 2023. So uh, uh, kind of a, kind of a midsize uh, on the lower end of the top 50, but uh, really excited mm -hmm. to be on list than to uh, be here with uh, Willis and, and uh, John today. Yes, thank you. It's good to get a perspective from the different, you know, from the, the all the way from the big, huge companies down. But I mean, the, if you really look at it, the 50 are big, huge companies. I mean, oh, we have so many companies who, who write in and say, oh, we want to be on the top 50 list. And then I explain, you know, it's based on your revenue from the previous year. Uh, and then they see what number 50 is and they say, oh, never mind. So, um, yeah, it's good, good to be with us here today. Uh, John? Thank you, Ellen. I'm John Axelson, President and CEO of Hunt Electric. I'd like to thank Willis and Rob for their kind words already about our companies. Do appreciate having the opportunity here to talk with ECNM. Hunt Electric was formed in 1965 
I would be the, considered the fourth generation leader. We're not a family owned business though. So it's not like it's fam, fourth generation family from our revenue that's posted in ECNM. We're still not in that, what I would call the big group either, Rob. So we're right around that 700 million in last year's revenue. This year, we'll probably be closer to 800 million. Um, we do work in 41 of the lower 48 states. We're based in Bloomington, Minnesota. Our offices are pretty much still centralized here around Minnesota, Duluth, Minnesota, Rochester, and Hudson, Wisconsin. We have roughly 1,100 people working for us right now, 390 in the office, and the rest are field electricians. The one thing that maybe we do different than others is when we travel, we typically find good partners to work with instead of trying to bring our old own field forces into those locations. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. I can't wait to hear what you all have to think about trends going on right now. And I know the readers and listeners will too. Uh, so let's start out, um, like, as you mentioned, the top 50 contractors. We do this every year. It's based on a survey. This isn't, we don't pick them. Uh, this is based on the previous year's revenue, electrical revenue specifically. So I wanted to talk about, you know, the past couple of years, actually not this year's top 50, last year's, we had the biggest jump. It was a 20% increase in the last survey of revenues, which marked, that was the biggest year over year jump we'd ever seen in the last 15 years. So, you know, that was a banner year, obviously. So then this year I was thinking, oh, there's probably no way, you know, you're going to top that again. Um, but then the numbers came in and as a collective group, um, you managed to boost the revenue to almost 44 billion. So that was up almost four four from 40 billion last year. Uh, so I wanted to see, you know, does this surprise you at all, given the challenges that it seems like are still in play that, you know, respondents on the survey are still bringing up a lot of the things that are really challenging for them, like supply chain issues, labor shortages, inflation. So, you know, does that increase surprise you? Um, why or why not? And kind of wanted to get a gauge of what you think, um, you, what do you foresee happening the rest of this year and maybe into 2024? I'll jump in first, if that's okay, Willis and Rob. Sure. Um, I'm not really surprised by it, just because of the number of hyperscale data centers and large projects that are are coming to market like we haven't seen before. Um, for us, when we used to see a, a project of a million dollars from an electrical standpoint, that was a big project. And now we're seeing projects where the electrical portion of work is over 400 million. So to mm -hmm. see that growth um, from 40 billion to 44 billion, um, it's not as surprising to me. Uh, okay. I think what's probably the biggest surprise to me is the lack of movement from our key manufacturers to figure out what's going on from a supply chain standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, it's to, I would guess everybody that's listening in, it's a frustrating part for us when we reach out to a vendor and they tell us uh, 104 weeks for switchgear to be manufactured. Right. Um, that in, in and of itself is going to start limiting our abilities to continue to grow in the market, but that's that's kind of my two cents on it. Right. So what could those numbers actually be if that weren't the case, right? Correct. Yeah, I would add to what, what John said that, uh, you know, we see that really in 2023, 22, rather, that people adapted to the supply chain to higher interest rates. And, mm -hmm. you know, our, our owners, our GCs, you know, did spend some time last year and late the year before you know, reassessing their projects and getting getting prepared. And, and so we've seen a big uptick in business in 23 over 22 and expect 24 to do the same. And it's okay. really that, that the adjustment to higher interest rates, the adjustment to the supply chain and the realities of the labor environment have now 
um, uh, been built into their plans, the pro formas, and those projects are forging ahead. Additionally, we overlay the, uh, uh, you've got a lot of questions here about the, uh, uh, some of the federal funds that are beginning to flow now. And we mm -hmm. see those flowing in 24, 25, 26. So, you know, okay. I, I think all the megatrends point to a robust period for electrical contractors for several years to come. Okay, wonderful. Uh, yeah, this is Willis. I, I would agree. Um, I would have expected some growth. 4% doesn't surprise me too much. The economy is really strong for construction, no doubt, in spite of all of the challenges that we are facing that that uh, that we've already talked about. But I feel like it's a very unique economy to me. Um, it has a lot of strength. I think everybody, however, seems a little bit cautiously optimistic because of those challenges that were mentioned. Optimistic, but, but cautious. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, so we talked about, uh, you mentioned data centers, John, um, talking about good segue into hot and cold markets. Um, our survey results on that question, you know, we always ask what are your hottest markets, coldest markets? Really no surprises here. Data center mission critical came in the top spot, but it's been that way for six years. It's been at the top. Um, also not so surprising, um, you know, retail, private office and hospitality were definitely not so stellar. Um, do those line up with what you're seeing in your business or do you work in different vertical markets that maybe stand out as a bright spot um, or ones that are maybe taking a hit that, you know, weren't highlighted in the survey results. I'll this is Willis. I'll take a shot at that. Um, I would totally agree with the information that came from the survey. Um, I believe that it's, it's very consistent with, with what we've experienced. However, for us, the hospitality industry has really grown, which again is part of a very strange economy to me, usually in a tougher, cautious economy, uh, hospitality isn't good, isn't so great, but the mountain sector has continued to grow enormously with hospitality, which has been, which has been great for us. Okay. I would say, that, I would say that our, uh, you know, our experience echoes your survey, uh, that the area that I would add to what uh, you mentioned is the whole area of energy transition. And mm -hmm. you, know, you can put a lot of things into that sector, but I would put the renewable energy, I would put battery storage, I would put uh, uh, microgrids. There's, there's, as people adapt to a new, a new energy era, I think there's a whole array of projects that every customer across every market is looking at how to be more energy efficient and how to be uh, cleaner, greener, and uh, integrate renewables or uh, a more resilient system into their, you know, into their uh, uh, business plan. That's a great point. That goes across a lot of the different markets. Too. That also flows to the grid. We do a lot of utility work. And mm -hmm. in order for us to electrify our transportation system and all the other uh, aspects of our, of our life, we, you know, we're going to need a lot more electricity on the grid. And that means yes. that most utilities have major grid expansions coming up mm -hmm. over the next 10 years as well. So okay. I think that's, that's a second area that uh, wouldn't mention, but uh, we see a lot of potential in for um, electrical contractors that do that type of work. Okay, great. And I would, I would echo what Willis and Rob have already said. That's the survey results, what they're seeing. I think the biggest thing, maybe what Willis hit on is that there are some regions across the country that would be interesting to see how the survey um, looks at different regions here in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, our market hasn't returned to pre-pandemic levels for construction, but around the country, it definitely has. So um, that would be the only thing that maybe 
I wouldn't be in full agreement with what the survey stating is just if you looked at it from a regional basis. We we have some partners in Chicago that are kind of feeling that same pressure as well. So um, regionally, it might be a different answer, but I would say from a national perspective, the survey is hitting it. What Willis and Rob are hitting on, I was going to add renewables to that mm -hmm. list of, of what's going on and, and maybe more specific from a manu manufacturing standpoint. Obviously, everybody's aware of what's going on with the CHIPS Act, um, mm -hmm. but the battery plants are really taking off for the big three. We'll see what happens here with the strike, but so far they haven't been impacted from the battery standpoint. We're hearing that each of the major three need eight battery plants in the, in the contingent US. Right now, I think uh, GM has three. They're talking about a fourth one. Ford has three that are currently in construction, but are not complete yet. Um, and mm -hmm. Stellantis is obviously working on a couple too. So that would maybe focus more into what's going on from a manufacturing standpoint. Yeah, that's definitely a good thing to add there. Um, moving on to another uh, question we had was, you know, we asked them, we asked all the respondents, you know, what is your biggest challenge that keeps you from finishing a job on time and on budget? Um, you know, the answer has changed from last year. This year, it was definitely called out the delays with material delivery and logistics. That was their single biggest challenge as a group. Um, also cited rising <laughs> material prices especially on distribution equipment. Um, so that replaced last year, everyone said wire and cable, that was number one. So this year they said distribution equipment that became the the biggest obstacle there. So what factors do you believe uh, will have the greatest impact there going forward? Um, you already kind of touched on that, John, a little bit with the switch gear. I guess I would, I would say we've got a uh, generally a pressurized system and so right now it's distribution equipment, it's transformers, it's it's uh, bright, large, large, uh, high voltage breakers. Um, mm -hmm. But I guess I my outlook is that it's you know we'll 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 work on those. We're going to add some manufacturing capacity to uh, work on that roadblock. But with the amount of work coming over the next five to ten years, um, there's going to be other other areas crop up. You know we've got wars, okay. we've got hurricanes. We sort of had a rolling supply chain crisis, the pandemic. Um, we had hurricanes, we've had, and, you know, we've had PVC in shortage, we've short supply, we've had, um, you know, had copper in short supply. And, and, and so it's sort of been a rolling issue. Mm -hmm. We've also got uh, shortages in engineers. Uh, so we've had pressurized uh, getting the quality of engineering out that we, we look for. We've got labor issues that are well, well documented. So I think what we have to be good at is living in a world of volatility and, and being prepared for, uh, the future upsets that are going to come. So I, I wouldn't so much predict which areas are going to be in the shortest supply, but to say that we've got to become better risk managers and 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 think Everything. about what may cause those constraints in the future, and uh, build build stronger, more robust contingency plans to deal with them as as uh, new things crop up. That's a great point. Uh, yeah, this is Willis. I I would agree with Rob on all of that. I think. The supply chain issues uh, for wire and cable, I think, are under control, and I would bet that Sergeant and Hunt both fought that battle. But quite frankly, we got through all of that. I think the biggest challenge we have, at least we look at, is uh, distribution equipment and generators. Um, 70, 80 weeks out and generators that are used and no warranty, it doesn't feel very good to meet us, provide generators that are like that. So, I mean, that I think that's a big challenge, which I think causes project delays, but what it really requ requires is what Rob said. We have to be agile. We have to be vol uh, in a volatile market. 
we have to be prepared and try to communicate very clearly to our customers, which is who we care about most, is the customers who are asking for this project to be delivered to them. Uh, and it requires a lot of communication. It requires a lot of communication to un make them understand that here's what we're dealing with. And, and then to be creative on how we can uh, shorten that, that impact. Um, but I, I think that through, and I, I, would, um, I would bet my, uh, I would bet a hamburger that uh, Sergeant and Hunt both deal with vendor relationships in a very positive way. And uh, the planning and communication becomes really important with the whole project and 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 the the scheduling of those projects. Yeah, I think I would add to what Willis has there is um, as as the both Rob and Willis were talking, I was thinking about we almost have to become educators too with our mm -hmm. customers as to what's going on and help them know um, that there's a good opportunity here for all of us to to help to educate. Here's what's happening. This is what we're seeing today being able to have the customers that are willing to listen. And quite frankly, as Willis hit on, all right, that means we have to start looking at, do we have to purchase early? Design's not done yet, but Mr. Engineer, this is what you need to build to. And Mr. Supplier, that we need a commitment from you that you can actually hold to those dates that you're currently telling us. So get, taking that opportunity to do things different than maybe we've done it the last 10 to 15 years and help to educate our customers is, is kind of the big thing there that I hope that I think helps us get through it. Definitely. Um, so let's let's kind of take a turn here. You mentioned the um, the federal funding. Uh, we just talked about that briefly. Um, so the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Everybody knows what that is. Uh, we asked what kind of an impact that was going to have on the survey respondents' business this year, and it was a little bit surprising. I think we asked that last year too, even though it wasn't a law yet. Um, you know what they saw on that front. Um, and so my question kind of would be: Are there just going to be certain key players that are going to be able to get in on this? Um, because the survey responses um, were a little bit, only 14% said that they anticipated a significant impact, only 14% of the top 50. 66% um, said they're expecting a minor or a moderate impact. So, you know, what what goes into that? Who gets in on this business and who who's, makes it a minor impact, a moderate impact? And is this going to be something that, you know, a lot of different contractors are going to be able to get in on? Or is this going to be just the major, major big players, um, and then it's really not going to affect it, anyone else. So I wanted to see what y'all thought there and how you see that shaking out in the next um, few years. Because like Rob said, this is not going to happen overnight. Like it's going to be happening for at least the next five, 10 years, you know, as we roll all these things out with the electric vehicle charging and all the different updates that have to be made to the grid. So I'd like to get your thoughts there. I guess I'll take a, I'll take a stab at the first okay. uh, first response. Um, my view, and I would say this reflects Sergeant, but also the um, peers that we we deal with, that there's a group of federally funded projects that are mega projects, and that that necessarily requires larger scale. It requires you know the larger players in the industry to to respond, and and many of that will be in the form of teams and joint ventures and uh, consortia of, of contractors. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got EV charging, which is a, an extremely fractured business. The money flows to the states, which is then flowing to, um, through various mechanisms in each state. And literally every contractor that, that, uh, you know, can bend conduit and, and mm -hmm. pull wire can install a, an EV charger. So I think there's two, you know, there's a spectrum. So that's why I think you get a lot of responses where, uh, the EV charging is not going to make someone's business, but it's mm -hmm. going to be a nice addition. It's going to be 
great service opportunities and a lot of mid-sized projects that uh, you know a lot of companies can do. And and then on the larger spectrum, a chip plant is necessarily going to be the biggest. And uh, you know they're, they're extremely big and complex programs that are relatively few that are relatively right. few will get to participate in. But I do think the money is spread nationwide and flowing through fifty states, so right. that there are lots and lots of opportunities for people to participate. And uh, whether you're in the top fifty or not, you should get you know, read up on the act and what's available for you and your state or states that you operate and, and uh, get your share of that money. And whether they work in, you know, residential, that's probably not going to be an issue, but, you know, commercial or institutional, they do schools or they do, you know, whatever that could be a mid-sized type contractor. So. Yeah, I would, I would um, hit on that last thing that Rob really mentioned is read up on it. Right. Cause when I've talked to some of the people here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, or even other people around the country, they start thinking of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act as, well, this is like shovel ready when we had the Obama administration, right? So they're just gonna be talking about roads and bridges and that type mm -hmm. of infrastructure instead of thinking um, more broadly about what what are we really talking about and how can we be a part of it from an electrical standpoint? So I, I don't know if everybody that uh, answered the survey did the research prior to answering it. They may have thought mm -hmm. that, hey, this is more of a, transportation type item and I'm not in that market. So I, I'd be curious for the people that said that uh, relatively low at 14% if mm -hmm. they actually read through that or not. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with both of you. You have to read the act. It's interesting because it started in Obama 2012 and finally got became enacted in 2021. That's a long time. But if you read the act, it talks about water in internet, environmental um, strengthening supply chains, which is the challenge we have. Roads, mm -hmm. bridges, and airports is what probably everybody thought that this act was going to be. It's uh, be covering. It's also climate change. It's it is EV. It is the grid, the electrical grid. I think the point is is that it's going to impact our industry in a very big and positive way. I don't know how much it's going to affect us uh, in the markets we're in. We're going to install EV stations where we where the customers want it, but we're not going to chase it around the country. I don't think it's a market that anybody would ever challenge or, or chase across the country, but it's going to benefit a lot of people in a lot of markets across the country, all of it being extremely good, extremely good. Well, it does, that's interesting that you all mentioned education, because I will say last year when we asked that same question, you guys hit it right on the head. Everyone answered roads and bridges. That was number one, like that's how it's going to impact us. And then this year that totally changed. So if you look at, um, you know, the goal of 50% of all the new vehicle sales are supposed to be electric by 2030. So, um, you know, this year uh, they, they marked the survey respondents said the biggest increase in new project activity that they anticipated from these federal funds was by far EV charging. So it switched completely from roads and bridges to EV charging. And then it was followed second by renewables and electric grid updates, which is what all three of you just said. So you're exactly right there. That's, um, you know, representing what everyone is feeling. So um, are those sectors that you all are going to be growing in? Are you trying to get work in those areas? Um, or, and then also in addition, 87% of the respondents said they had already taken on EV charging installation work this year, um, yet they don't expect that increase to be more than 5% of their revenue, which I think Rob touched on, you know, so that can be this huge free fall of, you know, money, but it's something that you can get in on and it would be good to be educated and know how to do this if you're gonna grow in the future. 
think from our standpoint, and both companies have already hit on it, that EV um, charging will probably stay in our local market. Um, okay. What's going on here in Minnesota. I don't see us traveling around the country to put in 10, 12 charging stations, um, even mm-hmm. the, the large ones at the Amazon distribution centers. So I feel like the the 50% of all new vehicle sales hits maybe more on what the markets that Rob's in from a electrical infrastructure. I got to get transmission lines upgraded. I've got to get power to areas um, where that they can do this. We had a project in Michigan where our customer wanted to build a second facility and the utility came back and told them, uh, we can't support anything more than your one facility. We have to upgrade our whole infrastructure in order for this project to move forward. So I would say that's a big market. Um, it's not one that we're in, um, but I would think those people that are on the line side um, that are listening in, they're they're obviously going to see some big impacts here from the EV side of things, I think, sooner than later. So, okay. I would agree with that. I think um, EVs going to be spread all over the country. Battery plants, however, I think coincide with that same market. Those are uh, those are going to be big. Uh, and as soon as you build a battery plant, they're going to have a new battery and they're going to tear that one down and or tear that one apart and build a new one. <laughs> so that, uh, and that's not a criticism. It's just the way the world works. And quite frankly, that's a good thing for construction in general, all trades. Uh, yeah. Renewable energy, I think, and new energy sources, which we probably haven't seen yet, I think the whole effort toward this um, this Infrastructure Investment Act and the push toward green energy and um, electrification um, is only going to be a benefit for electricians across the country. Okay, let's shift gears to, uh, you know, I wish we didn't have to talk about this, but it seems like we just have to talk about it every year because it's always an issue. Uh, worker shortages, um, just like last year, it was one percent higher this year, 81% compared to 80% last year of the top 50 said they were experiencing worker shortages. Um, so I wanted to find out, you know, how you all are dealing with that strain when it comes to hiring certain types of workers. Um, overall respondents named electrician, electrical foreman, and project managers, the most difficult positions to fill. Um, so I wanted to see how does that align with what you're seeing? And then I'd also like to, after we talk about that, I'd like to go into maybe what are some ideas or things we can do going forward to help bridge this hiring gap and appeal to, you know, the younger generation, because obviously an ongoing issue that's not going away. I guess, you know, we, we all live that every day. So I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like piling on to everything you just said, but uh, <laughs> you know, those are certainly uh, all areas that are in short supply. Uh, you know, I would add estimating, you know, we uh, estimators are, are uh, another pressurized element of our, of our okay. uh, business that, uh, as, as work volumes increase, we need more estimating capability. And uh, so so building a pipeline, learning how to develop people faster is something that I think, uh, you know, certainly um, all, all of the people that I deal with in the industry are working hard on, mm-hmm. you know, how to bring more people into the trades, how to bring uh, um, and, and further accelerate that development. And, so you're uh, seeing it more across the board, not just specific titles like electric. You know. Absolutely. Foreman, yeah, and so it's uh, it's entry level people. It's, it's having plans, perhaps, to um, leverage some of our mature talent um, in different ways than we have in the past, rather than you know them moving early into retirement, um, asking them to stay on longer, and uh, having programs so that they can mentor you know people coming into the trades. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, a lot of people are doing creative things to uh, get that expertise. Uh, think of a central control room type thing where they can help service techs out in the field, um, you know, with uh, FaceTime and other tools to, uh, uh, to to bring people on that may have encountered something in the field they've not seen before. So I think there's a whole array of things that we're doing in terms of, uh, you know, both trying to get new people in, accelerate their development, and, uh, and you know, get them as quickly up to productive work as we can in, the, in a tight labor market. And then also retain them is, a, is an issue. Too, I know. Right. That's another whole thing. So um, anyone else have any thoughts on that? Yeah, this is Willis. I think um, there's, there's no doubt electricians, supervision, project managers are always to, to get quality people. Is we, I think for 20 years, we've been hearing that there's going to be a shortage. Um, I wouldn't say it was ignored, but I yeah. think today we realize it completely that there is a, a shortage right. <clears throat> and a high demand. Let's put it that way. But that's um, that's a good problem to have. To be re to be quite frank, um, I think it's our job to continue to hire the right people, get people um, interested in our trade, um, and that's all a big challenge. Um, but we fight that battle every day, and we have fought it for decades. Uh, I have to believe that Sergeant been in business for I think I did the math, 116 years or something like that. Um, they didn't get there without trying to solve that problem, but right. the problem will exist. You said it's been on your um, survey for a long time. It will continue to be there. I'm quite confident of that, particularly when right. you look at the work that's ahead of us. I think the other side of this is there is nothing more important than developing people because our industry is a great industry and it's an opportunity for people to not only do their, their job within the craft, but also um, leadership and the next level of leadership, the next people that are going to be on this survey in 10 and 15 years or on this uh, this call in 10 or 15 years are going to be the next leadership of the organization. That to me is really important as well to keep. I want to be in business for 116 years too. Right, exactly. Yeah, Willis, you kind of hit on that, right? I think all three companies would love to see seven generations of our, our business, our company still being here, right? And so if we start thinking about those decisions that we're making today and how would it impact somebody seven generations from now, we might make some differently, right? Some of that is developing those that key talents that you're talking about. Other parts are, hey, we have to start doing it different, right? Working with people in the industry about how can we recruit? We get upset that um, guidance counselors just talk about kids going to college, but we're not there at the high school promoting our trades either, right? So we we need more people in in every high school frankly, into some middle schools. Um, you know, I'd love to see what they're doing with the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts, giving them merit badges that are electrical based. Finding creative ways to, to point out what our trade is, is how we're going to get past some of this, right? I might take the unpopular stance even to say that immigration, while it's a very political issue right now, has the opportunity to, to help us provide some labor where we need it too. So if we could find a creative way to get some of the people that are immigrating here into the trade, starting with some manual labor, doing some different things, that that would be a game changer for us as well. Right, exactly. We've seen that with the 30 under 30. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a thing we've done for the last like five years on these them with the young people under 30 years of age. And I interviewed them for the podcast and asked them, you know, what brought you to this industry? What drove you to the industry? And, you know, some obviously are generation after generation of electrical families who grew up doing that, but most of them kind of came on, came upon it by chance. And they didn't realize like 
they've have all these stories of, oh, I got into this contracting company. I had no idea there were all these cool projects I could work on and I could do this and this and travel and do all these things. And they just, they didn't know that. So I think education is definitely key. Like you said, you have to get that to a younger aged person so that even the parents understand it because I don't think they understand as well. Um, so that's going to have to be something that keeps happening for sure. Yeah, I think one of the things that we see is you mentioned, you you said that key word that I happened to have typed when I was looking at the responses, but you talked about working on cool projects. And I think, you know, we find that some of the cool technologies that they get to work with in our industry are another draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk a lot about the path to ownership. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a relatively quick path to um, having your own business, putting out your own shingle in the, you know, in the specialty contracting that many, many of our peers have, have done. And, uh, you know, every year we have, you know, a certain number of people that leave, you know, leave our company and go out on their own. And we encourage mm-hmm. that. We, and we, we, we I've noticed that. And helping them because they, they, they wind up catching a big fish and they call Sergeant back to help them, you know, <laughs> with the big fish that they caught. So, <laughs> So encouraging people to, uh, you know, to look at the different things they can do in our industry is something that we've got to get better at. Uh, John talked about the guidance counselors, and I think by uh, painting the picture of the, the, the different career paths that we have in specialty contracting um, and the different avenues that you can go, you know, we touch almost all facets of the of the U.S. economy and, and that they have, you know, whatever dream they might have, they can you know, they can, they can pursue that through a career in uh, the electrical industry. So right. we've got to make that picture better for them. It does seem to like in talking to the young people with the 30 under 30 that, you know, maybe things are, you know, we're all probably about the same age. Um, what was maybe important to us when we were starting out is not the same as what's important to younger people today. Like, what are they looking for? What incentives do they want? What kind of, they want flexibility. They, they want to make a difference in the world. It seems like what they're saying in these interviews, they want, you know, sustainability. They want to be a part of something else. Like, so it's not just, you know, a salary. They want to get a job, put their head down, make the money. It, it, it really isn't like that anymore. I don't think for young people. So we have to, you know, understand what that new generation of workers is looking for. So you all are obviously doing that. So doing that well. So I wanted to move on to a new question we asked this year um, because it came up in the news with the project labor agreements, PLAs. Um, so it, it was really mixed on that. I guess that isn't that surprising, but you know, with the PLAs, would, would that have a positive or negative impact on their company and the industry? So this was about the executive order that would require, it's not settled yet, but on federal projects above 35 million, um, third, let's see, 31% indicated that that would have a negative effect. 38% said it would have a positive effect. And then 31% said it would have no impact. So I know it, you know, that hasn't really been determined yet what's going to happen in the long run, but I didn't know if anyone, do you have any specific thoughts on that? Since it's kind of a current event that came up with this year's survey. First of all, we don't do much federal work, so mm-hmm. we take that off the table. That's interesting, but, uh, you know, we we see PL, PLAs can be a double-edged sword sometimes. On one hand, you know, it drives level playing field and it drives certain uh, uh, positive things to uh, particularly union contractors. Um, right. ho- however, it does come with it with some reduced flexibility and ability to respond to projects in other jurisdictions that uh, can can hamper the ability to to staff projects. And uh, so some of the things that were put into the some of the government programs as a positive actually wind up um, severely limiting the ability to use, uh, um, you know, 
different levels of workforce and and some labor sources that you know we absolutely have to have in order to staff the projects meaning there aren't just aren't enough union you know right. journey trades people to do certain certain size projects and so mm -hmm. without ability to bring on you know other other categories of labor and and uh labor from other sources it can be very difficult to staff so that that is the dynamic that results in the uh responses that you saw and okay. uh so I would put us in kind of that middle ground that uh, it'll help us on some projects, hurt us on others. And so we're kind of in the middle ground that it's um, it, it, it's it's part of the legislation and we'll, you know, we'll work uh, our best along that path. Uh, this is Willis. I, <clears throat> I, I would agree. I don't really personally, I don't think it affects us a whole bunch. We haven't seen uh, it impact us yet, but I think the jury is still out of what that might do. Um, we don't do a lot of federal work either uh, for lots of reasons um, outside of the PLAs. But I mean, I know there's a lot of work and we just described how much work is um, is in demand. <clears throat> I don't think it might even be too much work for the available resources we have. And there's there is so much of it. Um, in my opinion of PLAs is if it excludes any employee's ability to do the work, I don't really care much for that. Um, if it enhances opportunity to do the work and, and provides opportunity to take care of what the customer is needing, and that is a completed project, I think uh, all hands on deck is what it's gonna take to get that work built. So um, we'll, I think the jury is still out on that to, to, uh, figure, to, to understand really what that impact is. I don't see it being a huge impact on us, at least not today. Okay, so I know one of the things that everyone always wants to know, the readers and listeners, is to get your crystal balls out, and they want to know you, the experts, the executives at, at these big top contracting firms, um, what are the big things that they need to be watching going forward? So if you have any opinions on that, on the rest of 2023 and into 2024, what are going to be the big things to watch? Okay, I'll take it. This is Willis. Okay. You know, I think... Um it's interesting to look into the future a little bit here. And, and although I think the future might be only two or three months away, but um, I think AI is a, is a big deal. Um, I think it's, uh, some people would say it's scary. It shouldn't have it. I think others would say it is a huge, could be a huge benefit. I think, I think that AI, we will be having a discussion on that in the next survey, because I think it's impactful. I think it, I'm hoping it could be very positive. I think for our industry, it can be extremely positive if it's used right. And I, a lot of our industry partners from the perspective of uh, software and some of the things that all of us use, um, AI is going to be a huge benefit that quite frankly, at my age, I still have a hard time comprehending any of it, but it's real, it's there. And I think we'll be talking about that in 24. I, may, I we may be doing the podcast with AI at that time. It might not be me. It'll be, you know, the electrical AI person, the editor. Yeah, I, I know what you mean there. Yeah, I, I agree with Willis. I was going to joke that that's how Ellie was going to answer our questions for us today as she was <laughs> editing, editing it. So I think AI has the opportunity to have electrical contractors find ways to run their businesses more efficiently, right? We are um, especially trade contractor that, operates on a very small margin um, in comparison mm -hmm. to some other industries that we're in. So any any gains we can get um, from AI with collecting data, I think is gonna be helpful. Um, the other big thing that I think is happening more and more 
is uh, we're seeing some of our general contracting companies that we work with taking a look at how can they modularize mm -hmm. projects? How can we build more offsite and bringing it, right. bringing it in and assembling mm -hmm. it on site? So I would say um, maybe not the rest of 23, but I think by the end of 24, that market is just going to continue to explode when we start seeing the DPRs and turners of the world, um, looking at how they can build skid electrical ropes, right? Things that, we, that we're used to building stick by stick out on a job site and they're looking at furnishing it at the, at the spot where we used to do that work. So we have to get more creative and come up with better solutions if that's work that we wanna keep doing ourselves. Yeah, I mentioned earlier that I think that the complexity of the projects, the scale, the, the, the pressures that we see, whether it's supply chain, whether it's labor, whether it's scheduling or owner expectations are all driving you know, the essential use of all the best practices that we we all know about. But, but I think, you know, what we have to do is, as John just said, is keep getting better, keep getting better at uh, at planning, at scheduling, at communicating, at sequencing our work. And, uh, you know, we've got to be building the creative talent that will um, be able to work in this increasingly volatile environment that uh, by volatile, I mean, the ups and downs of the uh, the traditional things that we took for granted, you know, whether it's a war in Ukraine or it's, uh, you know, more storms that are coming in and, you know, causing upsets to the you know, the PVC market or mm -hmm. shortage of copper, whatever, whatever it is next year. And I think that, uh, you know, that just drives the kind of talent that we need and the, the business environment that we're going to be working in. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it can be energizing for some, it can be, you know, other, some people can adapt to it well, some don't. But uh, exactly. what we've got to do is be continually looking for that talent that thrives in that uh, in that uh, environment and elevating them and 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 giving them the tools that they need to succeed. And you've heard a lot about AI. You've heard about uh, you know increasing use of prefab. You know them models that uh, you know let us uh, uh, you know have have much more accurate work and interface with other trades. I mean, all these things are ever more critical. In, in these larger complex projects that are that are our future. So uh, it's an exciting time to be in this industry. And and uh, uh, but if you're the guy that has to uh, stamp that next bid and predict what your cost is going to be in 2025 when the job's finished, you know, it, it, it can be uh, nerve wracking as well. So uh, but that, that is the business and the, the career paths that we've chosen. And, uh, you know, it's 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 a great time to be in this industry. Well, it looks like we're about out of time for today's discussion. I definitely want to thank our group of executives for sharing their insights, industry knowledge, and experiences with us today on the key trends in the electrical contracting arena. Definitely a great discussion. Uh, in closing, I'd also like to thank Managing Editor Ellie Coggins and Associate Editor Michael Morris for editing and putting these podcasts together, making this valuable information available to all of our readers and listeners. For more information, visit our website at ecmweb.com. This podcast is produced by ECNM Magazine, part of the portfolio of Endeavor Business Media Publications. Well, I think that's it for now. I'm Ellen Parson, signing off of ECNM on air. Please let me know if you have any podcast topics you'd like to listen to in the future. And don't forget to check out our website for more podcasts and other great content resources for electrical construction professionals. Thank you and have a great day.